And welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 133. Joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Hey, 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 how's it going? That was fantastic. I think everyone is really delighted. We are going to get into some some really interesting topics. And I think Eno is going to have some really interesting comments. I'm particularly interested to hear about what he has to say about uh, a guy that I'm really kind of curious about and he a little bit uh, alluded to that in our last program on thursday and so i'm eager to get to that uh, but first we have a couple of things we're also going to kind of dot in some requests uh, but before we get to those things uh, we're going to start with some stuff in the bullpen because that's where everyone hates all the players and uh, we're going to start with ronald belisario who remains the white Sox closer after he recorded only one out gave up two hits three runs one of those uh, one of those two hits was a home run and blew a save in uh, fantastic fashion on, I believe it was Monday night. And so uh, had to give, be given that vote of confidence. Uh, he's given up a run in three of his last five appearances, you know, and uh, just as uh, and, and in general. I mean, the, the numbers, um, as far as the results, don't match up with the peripherals. So, uh, I mean, it, it looks like the same situation we've been seeing here. Uh, the vote of confidence comes out. That's never encouraging, it seems like. Uh, but uh, any reason to think that there's an alternative to, uh, that has been developing in the White Sox in the meantime is the question. I mean, the, 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 the vote of confidence in this case, I think, is a little bit significant just because it's people are tearing their hair out. I mean, people on Twitter and, and in general are just sort of like, oh, this guy is so terrible. He's the worst closer in baseball and all this stuff. And and just to have to have the team say anything positive, I think, quiets it down a little bit. But I think what's really going on here is something we've talked about in the past, which is that they're they're keeping them cheap. Uh, they're keeping the rest of their team cheap. There's no there's no player that's just screaming that they've got it. That, you know, it's so obvious. I mean, you know, Cody Allen in, in Cleveland was was a pretty obvious pick, and and to ignore him um, could sort of undermine your franchise uh, in, a, in a way where like people would be like, well, if I play really well for them, you know, they may not make the right decisions for the right reasons. But in this case, I mean, Daniel Webb is walking as many as he's striking out. Uh, Putnam's got no velocity. Petrica's barely uh, striking out more people than he's walking. Scott Downs is a lefty and he's walking five for nine. So, you know, Javi Guerra basically jumps off the mound. I mean, that's not a reason not to make him closer, but give him a little time to show his true talent command. And I think you'll basically agree. It's a really bad bullpen. It's a rebuilding team. Bullpen's the last things you build. And I don't think they're too worried about it. They're just going to keep their young guys cheap. They're going to see who, who out of these, you know, I think chances are there's about eight pitchers in that bullpen right now. And chances are that one or two of them will still be pitching with the white Sox when they're good. So, you know, don't make those too expensive. Try to find out who those two guys are. And in the meantime, Belisario, go, go do your thing. As ugly as it might look um, in many ways, uh, go, do your, go do your thing out there. <laughs> I think it's worth note. Uh, it's worth noting maybe a little bit too. I mean, Belisario, this is not by any means the sole reason that he struggled. But uh, Belisario, wow, we know with the 60% plus ground ball rate, that's where he's hoping to get most of his outs, and the White Sox are in the bottom 10 of the league in, in defensive efficiency. Uh, that doesn't really bode well for his opportunities to turn those into outs uh, at the at the what you would consider, I guess, the league average rate. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a tough situation, and I'm glad I'm not a White Sox fan or, again, invested in this situation whatsoever. <laughs> well, I, I have maybe one or two shares of Belzario. I, I remember, I think it was... Uh, Peter Schenke or Jeff Erickson over at Rotowire once asked on Twitter, you know, make the case for Belisario like it's impossible to make it for him. <laughs> and, I, and I tried, you know, I tried. The one thing I can say other than finances is this guy's sinker is like top five in baseball. And I know that sounds kind of crazy to hear, but by ground ball rate, there are very few sinkers that are thrown regularly that are as nice as Belisario. So, you know, that's how you get 
a 60% ground ball. It's really not that easy to get a 60% ground ball rate. All those sliders and change-ups and all those things that you like so much, that we like so much to, to, to watch, um, average around 40%, 45% ground ball. So, um, you know, he's going to throw a lot of singers, going to put a lot of balls in play. Usually they're on the ground. Even now with his struggles, he's only giving up a half a homer per nine. That's, that's, that's sustainable and good um, given his surroundings. 1.25 whip, so actually some of the best best command of his career. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think he'll settle down a little bit. It, it, it won't look that great at the end of the season, but there'll, there'll probably be about 20 saves next to his name. Yeah, I think um, I think his sinker. I mean, it is it's nice. I think it looks good in a swimsuit and not just a one piece, <laughs> but also a two piece. I think. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, in stark contrast to the pitcher. Exactly. <laughs> and I've seen him in a two-piece. It's not pretty. Oh, please. Let's move on. <laughs> Moving to the north side of Chicago, uh, Hector Rondon absolutely obliterated, gave up five runs. He entered – this was a tie a tie game situation. And we knew – I mean, his, his, his numbers look really good, and he dealt with a shoulder – I think it was a shoulder issue uh, – no more than a couple of weeks ago and had, had a little bit of downtime. Uh, and since then – uh, his, I mean, he's only been appeared in a couple of games, but this was a pretty rough one. Again, tie tie games. So sometimes some managers say, "Hey, this is this was not a safe situation, not the same." But obviously, it's still a tense one. It's still a high leverage situation. Uh, Brondon uh, saw maybe maybe a, a lot of the correction he was due all in one op, in one outing, and that's what kind of sucks about relievers. But uh, we also know that players like specifically Neil Ramirez has already garnered some save chances and has done well in most of them, uh, most of the three. Uh, I mean, we, we know this is a pitcher to own, especially in the only leagues and even in deep mixed leagues. At this point, he's been he's worth owning. He's owned in both of the mixed leagues I'm in. Uh, any reason to speculate on a changing of the guard? It simply looks like a situation where it looks uh, – I mean, I think at any point they, they can they can decide kind of to go to one or the other. I don't think that they have to be committed to one. And, and, and maybe this is kind of an opportunity to keep both of these guys or anybody else cheap too. Since this, uh, as you've talked about, finances are obviously a concern with teams uh, that are not quite in contention. It's true. By splitting the saves, you kind of keep both a little bit cheaper. Um, you know, run, They both are very interesting guys in that – they bounced around a lot. Ramirez uh, was was supposed to be a starter for a long time, so that's why it took him forever to get to the major leagues. Was you know he had good strikeout numbers as a starter, and the Rangers were committed to you know getting him to the majors as a starter, and they just never quite managed it. So um, he's just that's a more standard story where you, your 25 year old debut guy is uh, a former starter, and and you know he's got uh, the fastball slider and curve. Uh, nice three pitch mix. He's at 94 in the pen. I, I don't really have too many bad things to say about Ramirez. Rondon, on the other hand, you know, has a history of injury that goes along with it, and um, has been a reliever for longer. I don't know. Does that count against him? I don't know. He's <laughs> oh, for whatever reason he struggled with with uh, command in and out. But uh, if you look at his career as a whole, he's had better command than um, than the league most years. So uh, I think they're both good pitchers, and um, Rondon has more saves and has and has had the most recent chance. So I think that that puts him in front. Yeah, I, I would have to. I mean, yeah, I still think clearly Rondon is at front uh, or is in, in the front of the pack. Uh, I mean, at some point Ramirez is probably going to deal with a little bit of adversity himself. This is his first exposure to the major leagues. Uh, yeah. He just he exhibits that wonderful. Uh, strikeout minus walk percentage that uh, we've come to slowly fall in love with. I think that there's there's certainly a lot of reason for intrigue there, but uh, there's no reason to think that the Cubs are just going to name a guy and, and be on him for good. So uh, just bottom line, as long as you have the, the skilled pitchers there, I think you're in pretty good shape at least, and uh, don't expect them to save your season for saves. Yeah. Now, you know, started to bash on my boy Matt Keane last time, a little bit. Uh, well, at least he said uh, he was concerned about Kane and um, being an owner of Kane in one league. That would be the league that I'm in with Eno and can't trade him to him. I'm interested to see why, and then hopefully I can convince him otherwise. Well, I, I didn't tell you last time. I, he doesn't have a single pitch. You did. That, you did. I want. I would like to hear some detail on this. Oh, you said you like didn't get a chance to get into it in great detail. Well, I mean, one thing that's interesting is that he does still have three pitches that are right next to average. Oh, um, yay. <laughs> well, 
you know, it's it that means that and, and honestly, even his four seam is right next to average. So that means he's got four major league pitchers. They're not necessarily none of them's elite. Um, and that's I think maybe a little bit what's going on because he used to have elite command of of four, you know, kitchen sink type pitches. And now he has the kitchen sink without the command. So I think, um, <clears throat> you know, w- what I'm trying to flush out in this in this theory is the the importance of the, the fastball, how, how relatively important the fastball is. Um, <clears throat> and, and Kane's four seam is at least, um, I guess, close to average. Uh, and then how important it is to have an elite pitch versus having a couple representative pitches. So... There's a kind of, kind of Matt Kane Jesse Chavez approach where you have three or four uh, decent pitches, but no pitch that's a real standout. And then there's the, I don't know, the Justin Masterson approach where you have two pitches, but both are elite. Um, and uh, it's unclear. I mean, both are different. They're both ways to get to the major leagues. Um, and uh, you kind of, you know, I think that having a a sort of diversity of approach is the best way to go. If you're going to build a staff, find a Justin Masterson, find a Garrett Richards or a native Aldi, and then also try to find your uh, Chase Whitley, Jesse Chavez, um, you know, mixed, mixed bag types. Yeah. Well, no, I'm really not encouraged. I was, I was kind of hoping that uh, I really didn't have a way to counter you. I was just kind of hoping that your argument was pretty weak. But now I'm really concerned. And you, if you don't, if you'd like him, you can still have him at Tout Wars. I'll sell him to you for uh, cents on the dollar. What do you think? What do you think? We'll, we'll talk. Well, I made a trade in Tout Wars. Uh, yes, I, I saw that. Away. I saw that. And and uh, and I traded away Ian Kennedy for Zach Britton. And you know, it wasn't. Uh, Maybe the best on value, just because Ian Kennedy's going to throw more innings. Uh, Zach Britton is not. Uh, Zach Britton is not, you know, 100% assured in his job. I think, but but um, you know, I just saw that there was a there was movement to be made in in saves, and um, honestly, Zach Ken- uh, Ian Kennedy has has struggled with homers his whole career, and I don't think that he's going to make it through this year without struggling a bit with homers even with San Diego behind him. So, you know, in a weekly league where you kind of have to start the guy most of the time, he's a little bit less valuable to me than he is in a daily league where I can take all his San Diego starts, take his San Francisco starts, you know, take some of his L.A. starts and and, and get, you know, the best 75% of Ian Kennedy. Uh, and that also goes back to the thing that I think that I say sometimes on this, which trades are hard. Trades are really hard, and sometimes you just have to overpay to to shift resources around. I mean, I I had Tyler Skaggs and and Gossman and all these guys coming into the rotation, and I've been trying to find closers all year. So I said, screw it, I'm going to trade away a starter for a closer. Yeah, the reality yeah. is, is um, I, I think anybody who looks at that trade and says, well, the value of Ian Kennedy, I mean, value is relative in this. Obviously, I mean, it just remains that way. There's Pretty much everything in the world is relative. I'm a relativist. And, and the bottom line is that Kennedy is just so much easier to replace. I mean, you may say, you know, whatever you think about, for instance, but I think like uh, I pick up a Jeff Locke for a couple of bucks uh, this past weekend, and I, I don't necessarily think it's a one-for-one, one, but uh, you can piece together, you can find pitchers to replace a player like Ian Kennedy on the wire. And now you don't have to bid be the next guy who bids uh, uh, $33 for, was it, is that what Neil Ramirez went for this past weekend? Yeah, well, and I, and he was. It was Vickery down to like twelve or thirteen or something like but that. But I'm I'm running out of money. Doing exactly. exactly what you're talking about, I, I'm down to like thirty four bucks in in budget, and and I don't want to spend it all on closers. So you know, I'm going to wait for some call up or something, some injury, and and blow my money that way. And let this be a lesson to you as well. Uh, as I said, I mean, it's it's easier to replace this type of pitcher, even in a fifteen team mixed league. There are a lot of pitchers. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are a few pitchers. There's always a couple of guys I have more. I have my eye on, and uh, every week I think that there's a possibility I want them. I'm at the point where I actually did, and we'll get into him in just a moment. But I, I finally released, and I haven't given up on at the same time, Brandon McCarthy. But uh, I mean, there's 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 a little bit of pitching to go around. But it, it, this kind of is it's a little bit of a uh, it's an opportunity to talk about too. Eno. I mean, you say, I mean, your, your evaluation of pitchers is always, I mean, that's something that that's kind of your niche. If you have some kind of specialty as well, like something that you are really good at and you can exploit, 
and you're going to have you're going to build up some depth at pitching and that's something that you can look to trade from that I mean that's where you, you identify those better than the average player in your league per, per se per se and then then I you just yeah I hope I hope that my uh, Gossman and Whitley pickups which were re re relatively priced you know easily priced uh, pickups for me I hope that those made Ian Kennedy um, uh, you know droppable and, and I just just saw someone down at the bottom of the table with me um, and just thought, man, let me let me get a trade done. I mean, it's like we're in these leagues, man, and trades never get done. Yeah, there's probably there's probably one or two trades a year in these experts leagues. It's crazy. So I've made you know, a couple. I said, I've made a couple already. You'll chill out. You did? Yes. All right. I forget. I already <laughs> forget what it was. It's not like it knocked the socks off anybody, but I uh, but. Uh, I'd have to go look. And it's not important anyway. The important thing is that we're here to answer people's questions. And we can start with uh, by also getting into uh, segueing from Matt Cain, who, uh, who none of his pitches impresses Eno, to what might impress uh, Eno with some of these pitchers. And that starts with, uh, well, whether they do or not. I, I tell you, uh, pitching, we had a request. The question was, uh, what, do, what do you do when pitching peripherals kind of fail? Um, basically, obviously, they indicate to us that this pitcher should have success, maybe not the type of success that he's having, um, and gave us a handful of examples that certainly we could talk about. And, and Whitley is a guy, like you said, I mean, somebody that you owned, and you saw a reason to pick him up on the cheap. Nobody else was interested, and tell us why. Well, it's funny. You have some listed there. You, Kluber's listed, but Kluber, I would say, is a victory. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Well, I think that that's like, I mean, I think he went from his example. I mean, prior to, say, last season, Kluber was not. And I think you can look at all of these and we, we can kind of have some ideas as to why. I mean, there's I think that's the point of some of these, some, if not all of these, is that there's intricacies beyond uh, FIP, XFIP, SIERA, et cetera. Right. And that that's what the secrets of success are. And I think we can talk, certainly talk about some of those and get into. And I think these are actually it's, it's kind of a decent array of examples to touch on some of those things. Yeah, no, I know. I think it's a really great group because. You say you have your Kluber, Salazar, Estrada, McCarthy, Whitley, and each of these they're very different pitchers. And you know, Kluber had the problem where he didn't throw; um, he, he was throwing too many four seamers, and it was a bad pitch. There's a and, reason that he was so hittable in the minor leagues, right? And so then he he discovered the two seamer. Even though the two seamer's not great, um, it, it makes everything else work. Salazar has bad command issues, and in fact. Uh, just found out recently that a uh, bit of a straight fastball issue um, and his slider just fell off this year completely. So now, in, in effect, uh, the pitch peripheral say right now that he's a one-pitch pitcher and it's a changeup. Um, so that's a, that's a little difficult, even if you have velocity, if you don't have command or uh, have a straight fastball. We've seen you know, with Gossman and some other people, the straight fastball is an issue. So um, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that my uh, pitching theory is, is refined and complete. Uh, <laughs> pitching is so intricate and interesting that it would be almost impossible. Uh, but, you know, there, there, and you can explain some of these things in retrospect, but it's hard to then learn the right lessons going forward. Marco Estrada uh, is actually a similar problem to Kluber, where his, his off-speed stuff, his breaking stuff is great, uh, but his fastball is bad. It's 89, 88, 89 in Milwaukee. So I actually, I actually picked up Estrada in a league because I don't think he's going to, you know, give up homers in every every start. And I think that not he, two in, in every start the way it is at this point. <laughs> I think right. I think in daily leagues, you can you can uh, you can start him in Miami, and you can start him here, and you can start him there, and you and you just avoid big teams at home and stuff like that. So uh, McCarthy, I think pitch type peripherals. Uh, do a decent job with him. I know that the strikeouts minus walks are great, but the pitch type peripherals tell you that he only has um, uh, he only has a sinker and a slider. And we know that even when there are good seasons from your Justin Masterson types, we know that just being a sinker slider guy is tough. Um, and the lesson I learned from Whitley, I think, is very is an interesting one too. Uh, you know, when I when Whitley first came up, I looked after I waited a couple starts. I looked at his peripherals, and his fastball slider and change were great. Now, um, after these last couple of starts, I went back and looked at his peripherals. Well, now his fastball doesn't look that great anymore, and his slider is, is just about average. So, you know, we don't really know what, the, what a great sample is yet for these pitch-type peripherals. I mean, by looking at a pitch-type uh, peripheral, it's nice that you're looking at per-pitch results. It's always better than per-at-bat results, in my, in my opinion. But you're splitting it into the different pitches he's doing. 
Um, so you, you're, if you threw, if you threw a thousand pitches, you would only get, you know, 200 sliders to look at. So, um, and then then you're talking about, especially if it's a pitch that the pitcher doesn't throw very often, you're talking about them, um, at, at just at varied points throughout a season and maybe even a couple of seasons for a guy. And then, uh, I mean, that's a rare instance, a couple of seasons, but with a, with a reliever, it it most certainly could be, but with a starter and you're talking about even given, even from month to month or from start, even from start to start, you're talking about then. Uh, there are a number of other things, uh, variables that, that affect pitchers' performance, such as uh, you know, obvious ones, or uh, such as health. But anything, I mean, you know, he could be just having a bad day at work. Uh, he, he had a fight with the missus or something like that. I mean, those things, those things matter. Not, not it, it, and again, yeah, I mean, these those kind of things you will never be able to anticipate or know. But uh, again, it's just it's it's different points on a timeline too that these things are occurring. I have about eight different segues. I have to try to remember them. <laughs> um, so. Uh, you said, uh, you know, for one, you said about uh, sort of losing a pitch uh, from start to start. I was just talking to Jesse Chavez. He talks about losing his curveball within a start and from start to start. If you're a reliever, you just kind of put that pitch away for that appearance and you don't throw it very much. Um, but if you're a starter, you have to keep throwing the curveball because you need to get through the lineup. So he talked about wasting a pitch, throwing a curveball in the dirt um, at 3-0 just to try and find the release point for the curveball and try to get it back in that same appearance because you have to kind of hold on to it. So I'm going to use that, uh, Jesse Chavez, because there's a grips piece coming out tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to use that to segue into Carlos Martinez, who you were talking about, you know, we're evaluating, you know, certain pitches on, on very small samples. And, you know, if you're a reliever, they kind of come and go. And so, you know, before... Uh, this year, um, I'm, I'm going to look at the exact sample number here. I said, I'm really worried about uh, Carlos Martinez as a starter. His team is not starting him. And when he throws the change up, it's terrible. It gets, uh, you know, half the whiffs that it should, half the ground balls it should. He has platoon splits that you would see from a guy who doesn't have a change up. Well, fast forward to this year, and he threw 27 change ups uh, before this year. So, you know, I was saying that based on, in my defense, I was saying it based on team usage and the fact they put him in the pen and stuff like that. So it wasn't just the pitch type peripherals. But, you know, fast forward to this year, look at his change. It now has, for uh, for this year, his change has a 17% whiff rate. It's above average. Well, I'm still talking about 46 change-ups. So what I will say is this. He has great velocity. He has the uh, opportunity to become sort of the chain, uh, a slider, uh, kind of a Garrett Richards type. His changeup has uh, more upside that we can see in a small sample than an Eovaldi or than a Richards. So he has, he still has more upside to become um, uh, uh, a complete starter than Richards and, and, and Eovaldi. So I would say that he has more upside, and now his team has made him a starter. So. You know, now the team usage is lining up with these peripherals, is lining up with velocity. So these are all things I think we should look at. And we have to find out a good balance of how to look at velocity, how to look at strikeouts minus walks, how to look at the pitch peripherals, and how to look at team usage and figure this out. And that's why it's still sort of a divining rod type thing where I'm out in the West looking for gold. But, you know, on some level, these things are thought out, and and there is a, there's there is a bit of a, a strategy to these, and and, a, and you know there are numbers behind. It. What I need to do yeah. is find what a good sample is for pitch type peripherals. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, I think just big picture the way to look at well, a way to look at it is that when you look at a guy, when you look at a player's page, when you look at the splits, when you look at the peripherals and such, when you, and you split them up by pitch type or whatever it is, you're seeing a snapshot in time, and it's when you're looking at a player's page and not when all these things are occurring, which has a, a billion other things that could be affecting it. Uh, and uh, so, you I mean you're, you hope that this this kind of thing evolves over time, and. You, and uh, but it's I mean, it's not it's 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 never going to be perfect. I mean, at least in my opinion, but uh, I mean, it's it's not going to be perfect because I mean, they're again, they're, they're human beings. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a really simple way of putting it. But I mean, it's it's super encouraging. Remember, Garrett Richards took a couple of years before he even started to show us consistently that he there was hope that he was going to break through. And uh, I mean. He started to maybe at the very end of last season and did this season. I, I was I will, and I have to correct myself on the last pod I did say uh, that we did with Fred Zinke, excellent guest by the way, and uh, 
and I, I just noted that I, I had a I had a theory or just a thought that uh, maybe Martinez had been better uh, as a starter than he had been a reliever in very minimal time. And I don't really know where I got that because looking up the numbers, it's not at all the case. And only recently in this year in very small samples is there maybe even a hint of that. But it's uh, far from a finished product. But the fact that he has something that he can start to neutralize left-handed hitters, he's had some severe split issues. There's, I don't think there's, a, there's nothing to question about that. And he needs something to neutralize lefties a little more consistently. So I, you know, I was, you know, it made sense for me to, to say what I said. I mean, you know, I've seen other people smarter than me say it. I wasn't, you know, talking out of my butt. And we can't go too far in the other direction and say, oh, you know, he's figured it all out. He's thrown 46 good change-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Done. He's good. Uh, book a career for him. Yeah. Um, but so-, uh, so, you know, like I wrote a piece today um, about guys who have uh, – you know, two pitches, uh, starters that have two pitches, um, uh, no, have, 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 uh, more than two pitches who have uh, a bunch of plus pitches. And, um, and, uh, you know, I bring it up because Matt Shoemaker showed up on that list, you know, just, just shy of, uh, of like Felix Hernandez. I mean, Felix Hernandez is the only pitcher in baseball that has five plus pitches in when it comes to, strikeouts and walks uh, and ground balls so i mean but we knew felix Hernandez was great what was interesting to me was that let me find shoemaker on this list um shoemaker came in with a uh let's see here how many pitches did he have three uh so he had three pitches that uh, satisfied the equation uh change up slider and cutter um, those three pitches both have above average, uh, swing strikes and ground balls. But the problem is I had a, I have a column in here. I didn't put in the piece. Matt Shoemaker in, in the sample has 741 pitches and, uh, Felix Hernandez is 4,706. So, you know, yes, go get Matt Shoemaker in a, in a, in a, in a mixed, in a deep league. Just in case, you know, the next four thousand pitches end up any <laughs> seven hundred, <laughs> because he doesn't have a great minor league uh, setup. The minor league numbers, a lot of them were in hitters leagues, so that's one thing to remember when you when you're looking at his minor league numbers. And um, you know, he's a he, he doesn't have great velocity, so you know it may not work out this well in the future. And his three pitches. You know, maybe the cutter is a fastball. Maybe it's not. If it's not a fastball, then he's not. He doesn't really have a. It's it, it's interesting that you say that. Is about. I mean, when we talk about shoemaker, like, and I can get into why that is in a moment. But um, uh, you talk about the fact that now it looks like he's showing his three plus pitches. I mean, the numbers in the majors this year are better than the numbers in his in the minors in previous seasons. And it. I mean, did he add a pitch? Did he? Uh, improve one to this point uh, i mean his 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 his, um, his peripheral numbers you know just the, the simple stuff the walk the walk percentage and the strikeout percentage those were good this season but i mean talking a handful of starts i think it is in the minors and just and the results just weren't there but is there some i mean we get we were asked i mean i was asked on a couple of different blocks should i go pick up shoemaker i'm like no the record doesn't say so and i i mean that was a blind dismissal on my part no question but uh, is there something that he showed up in this? Right. And, and is, is, is there something that the angels said, uh, that they said, why is this, why is it that they turned to him next? Uh, I mean, he was, I think he's the first guy that they called up. I want to say when they had an opening and they've given him trials before, um, not to say, I mean, again, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. And as far as this goes, but they're clearly, they were intrigued despite the fact that this guy's carrying a six something ERA and five stars at the triple A level. They say, well, we still yeah. think this guy can get the job done. Uh, if we turn to him, cause we have an opening in the rotation. Uh, there's something that they might've known there. And, uh, I mean, maybe this is it. I don't know. Maybe, and there's probably some way we could find this out. Uh, but, uh, is there, it, 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 this is this. A lot of this has to occur in hindsight, unfortunately, uh, and maybe uh, you know has another fancy chart that eventually tells us uh, how to read people's minds. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking in my head maybe he has a good sinker, and they thought you know that means he might not be a great uh, ceiling guy, but maybe he has a high floor because he has a great sinker. But so far, you know, his sinker has a forty percent ground ball rate. It's, it's not a great. That's bad. Yeah. So um, I don't know what they were thinking, and then you kind of. 
another interesting name on this list was Erasmo Ramirez. Um, you know, and I think he actually had four pitches. Uh, well, actually, if you go by whips, uh, Erasmo Ramirez has four pitches that are above average. His curve, his uh, two-seamer, four-seamer, and changeup are all above average by whips. Um, his cutter, if it is any different than um, his cutter or slider, is above average by whiffs and grounders. And that's over 2,000 pitches. And yet the results for Erasmus Ramirez are terrible. And he pitches in a pitcher's park. And his, <laughs> and his team looks like they never want to use him. And they always seem like they get backed into a corner when they call up Erasmus Ramirez. Like, oh, you know, everybody's hurt. So, all right, Erasmus, come on up. So, um, you know, it, this is in an embassy. This is the first year I've, I've, I've trotted this out. Um, and I, and I'm trying to, trying to figure it out along with everybody else. But, you know, if you ask me, you know, do, do you want a guy that has four pitches that are above average on whiffs? I say, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll take <laughs> Well, that actually, because you asked me to ask you, I'm going to ask you too, that, uh, that's what, uh, of course, sort of brings up what I, I wanted to ask, which is about, um, is, have you looked at uh, the year-by-year breakdown of these pitchers? Because Shoemaker has pitched in the majors on two in two other years, and what is the year-by-year breakdown of those pitches in previous seasons, and to see if those, if if individually by pitch and by year they have evolved, or if there's any indication of that, or maybe then you could see just what he hasn't thrown before, and that probably give us, uh, or that you know in theory could give us a, a better idea. But um, it's true, but you know he. He, he pitched very little last year, and the, and the study I did actually included 2013 plus 2014. So okay, well screw um, that. Tried to get as big a sample as I could out of it, but um, you know I I want uh, to pick up Matt Shoemaker where I can. Um, I'll trade you Matt Kane for him. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> uh, but any list with Felix Hernandez at the top um, and Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez at the top is interesting. You know, David Hale showed up on a list, too, with 900 pitches. But I've always noticed that David Hale is pretty good. I mean, he's better than people give him credit for. He's in the National League. And um, I think that if, if you know, uh, Aaron Horan goes poop, uh, David Hale will be, will be next. Yeah. So there's another, there's another name to, to think about in deep leagues. Aaron Harang is already going a little poop here and there. So, you know, don't, uh, <laughs> are you talking about the skipper from Gilligan's Island, right? Oh, what? <laughs> what? Oh, but that's Alan Hale. I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, we know that's, I mean, I think this is, it's a good opportunity to get into, this is also someone that, uh, a listener wanted us to talk about, but, uh, and I'm glad that he knows here to talk about him because it sounded like he knew how to pronounce his name. So I'm gonna give it a shot. It's Odra Samer Despagna. That's where I would go, or just make it. I don't know. That's that sounds pretty good to me, but I'm also not the person to ask. Okay, well, but you know, I don't. You watched? The, did you watch the start? I didn't get to see it. No. Well, I, I tried to. For him, it was you know, there's no numbers. There was no numbers that are going to help me my pitch type um, stuff, and uh, his minor league record is very small, and I can't. There's not a lot of Cuban numbers for him, and I don't know how useful those Cuban numbers are. So. I thought I'm gonna watch him, and then after the the start is over, I'm gonna I'm gonna form an impression from watching, and then I'm gonna after the start is over, I'm gonna go look at his pitch FX page and look how that lines with with the results of that start line up with, um, you know, with what I saw, and uh, what I what I ended up seeing was that he had a lot of breakers. He has a slow curve, a regular curve a slider and maybe a cutter. So he might have as many as four breaking pitches. Um, his change was okay. And then his sinker was pretty good at 92. Um, the problem is he threw 42 breaking pitches to <laughs> one uh, sinkers. So already that's really weird. I mean, that's, that's uh, this is a guy who basically uses his breakers as fastballs because uh, you, there are very few people. I mean, that's Sergio Romo almost. Uh, in terms of twice as many sliders as as uh, as, as sinkers, so um, I think what uh, what I'm worried about is the sustainability of that. Um, it's very strange. Uh, and then also he had command issues. He had multiple arm slots. He had command issues in the past in the minors. And yeah, the Giants you know didn't coax many walks out of him. But um, you know I didn't think what I saw was the command was great. So yeah, it doesn't take. Um... 
I mean, first time you're seeing a guy, it's not necessarily going to bring out the worst of the walks in a team. Exactly, exactly, because they don't know what to wait on. They don't know what to swing on. And even and even then, you know, I saw uh, Gregor Blanco do something really strange. He actually ran up in the box. Like, he actually took an extra step or two in the box because he, he knew that something slow was coming. Um, so his swing included, like, a step and, like, a walk up. And um, that says to me that, you know, they know he likes to really go slow sometimes and that there was something predictable about what he was doing. So, um, you know, and then just there is a pitch type peripheral bit of analysis in there. You heard, you know, two two whiffs on 42 breaking pitches is not good. Uh, and you'd think that the first time they saw it, people would whiff at some of those pitches. And in the minor leagues, he had good strikeout rates. So, yeah, well, it's uh, like, you, I mean, if you throw a bunch of breaking pitches, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of guys are in the minor leagues. It's because a lot of them can't hit breaking pitches. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just I, – the, the, it left me cold. And what it reminded me of, you know, people were talking about Orlando Hernandez. He loves Orlando Hernandez. Yeah, it reminded me of Orlando Hernandez, but it remind, reminded me of old Orlando Hernandez. <laughs> you know, it didn't remind me of, like, young gas and, and, and get you out Orlando Hernandez. It reminded me of the guy who threw – three or four different arm slots because he needed to surprise you. Um, so I just didn't, uh, I didn't come away thinking I needed to pick him up in any leagues. And um, I don't know what I would want out of him other than, I mean, none of those things were very crisp. He's very soft breaking stuff where it's a big old curve. And, you know, even the slider is kind of, you know, just humps up there at 86, 87. So, I just I don't think that there's anything that he can really do to improve his estimation in my mind, you know, unless he puts more gas into the slider or throws the curve harder or something. I don't know. Somebody you might take a flyer. I'd take a flyer. I, I would consider taking a flyer on this guy in an only league, but uh, I mean, something has to. He has to uh, put on a superhero uniform for me to consider him in a mixed league. And yeah, I mean, judging just from your description, it doesn't sound like I'm anywhere close to touching him. Well, this is, oh, this is interesting. Um, Jack Moore just put up uh, uh, a thing about uh, how he uh, his fastball to slider mix and uh, how he threw as hard as 94 and as slow as 84 just with uh, fastballs and sliders. Um, I don't know, though. There's something about that. There, was, there were not many 84s, so it was mostly 85, and they're mostly 92. So that's just 85 to 92. I don't know. That's that's like a small range. Do you see here? Now, I mean, I see like he threw a changeup, not real often, but uh, threw a couple of couple of few changeups, and they were pretty interesting. And the grip on them, um, it's in my Twitter feed. The grip on them was amazing. It's but the, he's like a split finger where he puts one finger over another. So it's crazy. The gap between the changeup and fastball. I mean, is there? You think there's any possibility that the Padres say, "Well, there's something we could exploit and maybe get him to throw the fastball a little more often, just so he can throw the changeup a little more often." And- yeah. There you go. Yeah, something like that is totally possible because the the changeup looked pretty interesting. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think a little bit more fastball changeup, a little bit fewer breakers might be interesting. Okay. He's, a, I mean, remains a player of intrigue. I, I, I've heard that uh, Cuban uh, Cuban professional league read that it most closely resembles. You could probably give it the equivalency of, say, a, an advanced Class A ball. I don't, I don't know how true that is, uh, and it probably changes quite a bit, especially when we've seen some of the talent that's come out of here in the last couple of years. But um, it's, it's something to keep in mind: is that the, even if this guy were dominant, and the numbers there were not blow you away dominant in Cuba in many years. So, uh, but he, he entry, I guess uh, when a guy does a bunch of funky stuff, there's always a little reason to be at least, uh, what, at least enough to wonder about. Um, and another reader request, we can, it's time to get into some hitting, uh, fellow has been really curious, I guess, about Todd Frazier no, nothing specific other than the fact that it's really nice that he's been hitting quite well this year. What's he up to seven, 17 home runs. I want to say, um, yes, 17 home runs. He's also stolen eight bases, which is a career high in the majors. Uh, but he's, he's hitting 284. I mean, it's looking a lot closer to the Todd Frazier we saw in 2012. And we, I mean, I kind of, I 
coming into this season, for instance, I thought he was somewhere between the player we saw in 2012 and 2013. That's just where roughly where I would have put the projection. I mean, he's a 250 to 260 hitter, and he might approach 20 home runs. He's already kind of putting those things in the in the dust. Is there something about Frazier that has evolved to the point where we think that this guy has a new baseline? I don't know. What's interesting to me is that he, if you just froze what he's doing right now and just called it a year, it would be exactly, it would be almost exactly what I expected out of him. Maybe, I mean, you know, a little bit more power turned some of those hits, some of the outs into hits, and that's why he has the higher batting average. But his BAPIP is fine. Uh, his strikeout and walk rates are right in line with his career. Uh, you know, there's nothing, you know, the steel, stolen bases are a little bit crazy, but, um, you know, there's nothing, you know, his ground ball fly ball mix is pretty much right around where it's always been. His line drive rate's a little bit higher than last year, but just about where it was in 2012. I mean, it's a kind of, you know, it, it's nice in that it's organic. Um, you know, nothing is nothing is like, whoa, look at that number, you know. He's reaching a little bit less, but, you know. So I would say that I believe in what he's doing. And, you know, even if the power regresses a little bit to, you know, 200 ISO or something going forward or 220 ISO, which is what he did in 2012, he's still going to hit another 10 homers at least. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's going to give him a 275, 280 average, 27 homers, 10 stolen bases. It's going to be an amazing year. I don't know what that means for him going forward, though. I mean, he'll be 29. And, uh, you know, he's not he's not a spring chicken. It's not like a, a young prospect coming up and showing everybody what he's doing. He's a, he's a mid, mid-career guy. So I think next year would be just as likely that he hits 250 with 20 homers. Yeah, it sounds like – I mean, this has – this has the smell of a potential career year that's going to be overvalued next season. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just nothing that nothing, nothing that says like, oh, he's changed his approach completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's Which, he's consistently been a, a line drive hitter in the early part. I mean, in the first, what I would like to think is probably like the first half of his career. Yeah, and uh, I mean that stuff's encouraging. He's also in a great ballpark. There's no question about that so i did i did just discover a bit of a maybe possible logical fallacy in, in the two things i just said about todd frazier though i said i like what he's doing it's uh it seems sustainable there's nothing that uh, that's a total outlier uh, that uh that screams aggression right and then i said um well i don't think that he'll be much different next year because there's nothing that really changed which would be <laughs> so uh, he can't he can't win for losing with me I guess but I you know we're not talking about an unproven guy I mean 1500 uh, plate appearances into his career he has a 256 average and averages about 20 homers a year I mean that's that's who he is you know and even if this year turns out a little different I don't think that that means that going forward is going to be that different yeah I think um, we could not have picked a more perfect time to talk about Frazier because going into today, he had exactly 1,500 plate appearances. So basically, if you take um, his first three years in the majors and divide them by three, I think that's Todd Frazier for the next, uh, at least next season. That sounds like a perfect projection. A 256 batting average and 20 home runs. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> And uh, that also gives us an opportunity, now that we've talked some hitters, uh, the Braves have made some changes in their lineup. Now, interestingly enough, they've made uh, another change since then, but we'll get into it. Uh, it looks like they're willing to start batting Tommy Listella at leadoff position uh, on a regular basis. Jason Hayward is out of that spot, which is good because he seems kind of, as Fred Zinke talked about on Sunday, he said he just seems miscast in that role. Uh, and it just seems like positive. Despite the fact that Hayward has consistently throughout his professional career shown good control of the strike zone uh, has not necessarily been perhaps if it's uh, it's not entirely it's 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 much better when it's left to his own volition and he's not required to, to to take pitches for the guys behind him or anything like that that he might be feeling and also he's just been disappointing in, uh, for good long stretches in the majors so uh, it's it's probably a good idea to get him out of that leadoff spot Justin Upton uh, I don't think any major change I want to say he moved up a spot uh, but uh, and Haver will be hitting hot behind him uh, and still, and this is an interesting comment I, I, I read somewhere, uh, is that uh, 
uh, or, or I think it was on uh, the article on the Fangraphs site uh, about the, the Braves' change to the Braves' change to the lineup, and that is <laughs> the Braves continue to insist on hitting BJ Upton uh, higher in the lineup than Justin Upton and uh, getting the much worse hitter, the much worse Upton, more plate appearances. <laughs> Why that is? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. I wish I could help you on that one, um, but and uh, if. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that I saw today's lineup card had B.J. Upton leading off today. It's another interesting one. Uh, but uh, what does this sound like for – I mean, ultimately, hey, I'm – I'm, I love it. I'm a Listella owner in Tout Wars, for instance, and I got him for a buck uh, just for this hope. This uh, this was kind of the the, the big time, the, the best case scenario, what I could hope for. Uh, the OBP has been great so far. He's been hitting well. Uh, that could always change, but the walk will always be there, and uh, the opportunity to score runs. I'm really grateful for that. And I'm gonna say something mean just because I'm mad because I paid you know like 18 bucks more for Odor. <laughs> uh, hey, say what you want. Batting average. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he hasn't been doing anything other than other than basically getting on base. And, and I think a week ago he drove in like three runs in one game. Can I have that? All right. Thank and you. Then since. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, it's it's a work in progress. Yeah. I mean, he's a rookie. Uh, you know, I think he'll be kind of a Matt Carpenter-esque. Um, I think you'll, I think you know, given full seasons, you'll have a great OBP and have some uh, ten homer seasons, some twelve homer seasons, stuff like that. I mean, you, you see pitching long enough, I think you start to figure out where you can get some uh, some homers. And he doesn't, he doesn't have no power. He's not, he's not Jose Constanza. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, I, I think that. Uh, uh, it is very frustrating. I would have actually, you know, I hear what you're saying a little bit about the pressures of being leadoff in particular. Although, to be fair, usually uh, once the first inning is over, um, it, yeah, it doesn't isn't matter. Really that much pressure, you don't end up leading off as much. Um, so I don't know about that, but maybe there's something psychological th- about it. Yeah, I think um, I think there's just the possibility that uh, I, I think it's kind of similar to, although to a lesser degree. The emphasis that's placed on pitching in the ninth inning for a reliever is some. A lot of that is in their heads, and I think that just by virtue of the fact that it exists means that it exists. If that makes sense, it it, you have to, to make it to re- make a really dumb sounding metaphysical argument for lack of a better way of putting it. No. Um, there's a perception, and that a lot of these guys prefer the comfort of knowing what they're going to do. Some of them do. Some of them don't give a crap because they're really good, and that's part of it. When you're confident and you know what you're doing. Uh, and you're, you can go out there and be Wade Davis in the bullpen now that he's in the bullpen. I can I, just a guess. I've never met Wade Davis. Uh, here he wears nice cologne, but uh, I think when he goes out there and can throw 97, 98, and uh, pretty nasty breaking stuff, that uh, now that he's in the, as a reliever, they can say, "Hey, we need you out there right now." All right, that's cool. I'll go strike some guys out. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and I that's why I actually you know not to double down on the pitch type uh, one of the pitch type losses, which is a uh, uh, Carlos Carrasco, but. Um, you know, Carlos Carrasco still has uh, a really, really good changeup slider and curveball, um, and I, I think he should get traded to an, a National League team because I think in a couple of starts against National League lineups would give him that confidence to start throwing the fastball inside the zone a little bit more, start getting ahead in counts and putting the people away with uh, with these with these uh, these good breaking pitches, these good off-speed pitches that he has. So, you know, from what I hear from guys, Dan Heron says 3-1, he throws the ball down the middle and closes his eyes. Pitchers tell me all the time, uh, batters pop up in, in batting practice. But that's not something that a, a, a rookie can hear because a rookie says, these guys are all going to murder my pitches. So um, I think that confidence is a really big part of the game. But I, uh, but dropping if 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 confidence is part of this this is this Hayward situation, don't drop him to fifth. Right. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, and I don't necessarily mean it's confidence. It might, it could. I mean, it's just maybe it's a simply it's something that has affected the way he takes pitches or something. And, and that's just pure speculation. I really have no idea. But, but I mean, just if you look at him, he's almost the perfect number two hitter. Yeah. I mean, great uh, on base percentage, good steals, good power. I mean, I, I would love that guy at number two. I don't. I agree. A little bit miscast for him. That's that's totally possible. But uh, I think he's a great number two hitter. Uh, BJ Upton does take walks. Might be a little bit faster, but you know, the strikeouts <laughs> just tank the on base percentage, and it's just it's kind of amazing. I I'd go to Stella, uh, Hayward, Upton, 
Gaddis probably. And I think yeah. that would be a really good. Well, Freeman's. I think Freeman probably. I'm sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> let's not let's not yeah, get yeah. let's not love I, Gaddis too much. I paused for a second before I said Gaddis. Uh, Freeman, uh, Freeman and Upton. Maybe maybe Freeman three, Upton four, uh, Gaddis five. I think that's a really nice lineup, one through five. I don't know why you would screw around with that. I, I have a guy at the top who has a 400 on base percentage. I have a guy second who has a 350 on base percentage, can hit it out of the ballpark. You know, I have stars three and four, and I have a, a guy who grips it and rips it at number five. So, um, anyway, it's going to cost uh, it's going to cost your boy this, uh, the boy Hayward. Uh, I don't know if he's your boy. Do he's you, not my you, boy. No. no, you're not. You're not that big a fan. I don't know. I, I've, I I've, like, I've, I was a fan like one year coming off a down year. Um, and going in 2012. I think yes, yes, whatever that was. And I had, I think I had a couple of shares that year. But otherwise, I mean, uh, even then, I thought that there was just. Uh, I thought it was a potential. I just for whatever it was, I saw in the numbers. I think there was just a lot of potential for. Um, a lot of fluctuation, I guess. And uh, I mean, I love the talent. I don't know what it is. I, I really have, I struggle to see it at this point because it looks like, I don't know if it's, is it, is, you think it's, is it possible it's like a swing plane issue or anything like that? Because it's an, he has an interesting approach. And it looks like a lot of times when he's on, like, I mean, he punishes a ball. He doesn't really go, does he go the way, the other way that often? I mean, that's not a necessary tool, but. Uh, well, here's, here's one thing that's, that's a problem. Way too many infield fly balls. Fourteen uh, percent for his career, sixteen uh, percent the last couple of years. That's going to tank your batting average on balls and plays. So, I think probably with those added in, he would have a three twenty type on base percentage uh, type uh, BABIP most years, and he'd have a two seventy two eighty type thing, and everything would look better. Then we'd be talking about a guy who can hit two eighty, hit twenty homers, and steal ten bases. Now you're talking about a guy who hits two fifty. You know, some of those infield flies steal power. So you're talking about a guy who's hitting 250 with 15 homer power and 10 stolen bases, and that's a lot less exciting. Yeah, that's uh, that's what you I think you call it the average outfielder, right? Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, I think what I when I did it was 270, 18, and eight. Oh, it's even worse than the average outfielder. Yeah, <laughs> it is a little bit worse than the average outfielder. Probably makes him still a starter, but. Um, but he obviously has upside beyond that, right? Yes. So, yeah, I still think that there's... I'm not talking about a guy who's just going to turn it in for you, like a, a Marlon Bird type who's just going to exist and, and be valuable because he exists. But we're talking about a guy who still has a little bit of upside beyond. Jason Hayward. He's still only 24. Right. I mean, we have to he's still only 24. And if, if infield flies are what's separating him from stardom, it's totally possible that they are. Um, you know, Then there still could be a career year. It probably won't have as many stolen bases by the time it turns around. But, you know, I, people are still going to be picking this guy till he's 27, 28. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And might be right that maybe he'll never be as good as, as we wanted him to be. But um, I, I don't know where I'll stand on that. Turned, I don't have shares this year, but I did have shares last year. Yeah, yeah. He, he turns 25. We share a birthday, me and Mr. Hayward. And so uh, it's my birthday today. Happy freaking birthday, Eno Saris. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit older than Jason Hayward. Yes, but you're probably not a little bit older than me. I'm probably a little bit older than you. Oh well we, we a lady never tells. <laughs> well then good. Let's let's hear it. Okay, no, let's move on. Uh I wanna move on just I wanna hear your thoughts real quick on the Mets's quick uh pretty much quick turnaround on bringing Travis Darno back up when we talked about him a little bit on Sunday, but I'm interested to hear if, if uh, anything about this, this recall uh, makes you more optimistic. I, I mean, obviously we went through all the caveats with the possibility uh, with the, the, the hitting in the PCL specifically hitting at Vegas. Uh, the one thing, the one thing I brought up is a possibility and I haven't read this anywhere. I was hoping to read an article on it. couldn't find one, but um, doesn't mean it's not out there uh, is that uh, he, he's, not really exhibited this um, uh, this great walk rate, um, but uh, I mean he's shown the ability to take a base on balls. But he seems to have done it. He seems to have drawn bases on balls more so in the majors, and uh, uh, no no real changes in the strikeout rate or anything like that. I wonder if the if the one change is that the Mets asked him because in the in the minors again this year he had this walk rate of around five percent, and maybe the Mets said go down there and be aggressive. Now it doesn't take much to be aggressive at Vegas again. Uh, and maybe it's not that, but uh, is there? And I said maybe that's the one reason to hope. It's not a guy I'm dumping my uh, 
dependable catcher for or anything like that. There is some hitting talent here. There's, I don't think there's any question about that. But uh, otherwise, I, mean, I, I look at his strikeout minus walks rates, which I've said is um, an interesting thing to do. And I think actually there's there was news this week um, coming from Bill James that is relevant to this. Uh, Bill James has been tracking the value of the top of the sort of top strikeout guys versus the bottom, uh, the best contact guys. And uh, he said, you know, back in the day, uh, the big contact guys were better than the strikeout guys. And then the strikeout guys took over for a long time during the sort of power era where their their power out outdid their the, the bad that the strikeouts did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we've now come so far around in this high strikeout era that the, the contact guys have taken over again. Um, and so I, I've talked about this in the past and um, how I like to look at strikeout rates for batters too. And I, and I just prefer to get power with, with a nice strikeout rate. And that's, that's something I'll be continue to look for. Um, uh, so Travis Darno has a, a better than average swing strike rate and a better than average strikeout rate. Um, and he has a, a nice walk rate, which matters for on-base percentage guys. So I think the, the, the platform is there. Scouts have loved him. Um, it's just I think catchers just take longer. I, I, don't, I say there's uh, tints to cap or whatever. There's no, there's no such thing as a catching prospect. Yeah, we've had comments before, too. And uh, uh, Oh, I had some comments on the catcher article, a couple of catcher articles. I, wrote, I just said that, you know, in general – uh, it seems it seems that catchers take a little longer, and a couple of guys challenged me on this and said that I, they didn't think that they saw anything or they believe they'd like to see some data that backs that up. And I suppose that that's 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 something I'd like to get into as well. But I think that uh, I mean we we kind of make this caveat or this judgment uh, based on the fact that uh, I mean catchers talk about it, and uh, and uh, there there seems to be some legitimacy to it is that they come up and that they're you know, the Whereas uh, first baseman, second baseman, third baseman, etc., all these other guys, they, they, get, they get to come up and uh, they get they get to work on hitting all the time. Whereas the pit, the catchers get to come up and they don't take they don't take all this kind of extra BP and things like that. They work on uh, the game plan for the upcoming opponent uh, and exactly. they sit down with the pitchers and that's that's first and foremost a priority is that they're learning the pitchers uh, and they're working with them even on their off days and things like that. That they don't get to work on their hitting primarily. And so that's why also uh, these major league teams. Their defense is more important than a lot of people's too. I mean, they got to start on blocking and, and, and then there's people in their ear about framing. So I think, I think the job of a catcher is very difficult and that's why you see later debut. The, the catchers have the latest debut age. They have the biggest bust rate. Um, You know, they have a totally different style of aging curve. Yes. uh, Some of them are actually decent on the back end. I think that's a little bit of survivor bias, but um, I think it, it means it's hard to find a great catcher, and some of them do have decent longevity. Um, but, you know, it probably has a lot to do with just how great they are more than anything. So, you know, I don't think that uh, I think that Darno is – I'm not going to call Darno a bust yet. I mean, <laughs> you know, to call him a bust after let – me, let me see this. Let me he's, get this right. he's far from a bust. Far from a bust. 257 blade appearances. I mean, it's, it's, not, a, it's not enough. You've got to give him – you got to give him 600. You got to give him 1,200. Don't you have to give him at least, you know, a thousand plate appearances? I feel like before you're going to call him a bust. I, don't I would. Know. I would be. I to me, it'd be a good. Um, I mean, I, I I typically like to go for 1,500. I mean, he is he's 25 years old, so maybe not that many, but right. Um, I mean, I don't even then. Like, I wouldn't necessarily give up on him. I think that there's some. Uh, we had this debate again when I wrote about Matt Weeders earlier, and some guys questioned whether I was. I said I think that this was the kind of. Uh, the breakthrough that we were hoping for weeders and it'd be a shame to see it come to an end. And these guys and a couple of commenters said, well, as far as I'm concerned, I see nothing in the peripherals that suggests otherwise. And there's, and the, yeah, that, that might be a good possibility, but the, the fact that weeders was not only, he's always had the kind of reverse, uh, the, the real trouble with hitting, uh, right-handed pitchers as a left-handed hitter. And I think that this year, like he was hitting against them for power. And, and that's, that's, really that's a huge difference is like, it's not just problem to have because, Reverse platoon splits are supposed to take over. Uh, a, I forget. Just they're a massive sample before you're supposed to believe a reverse platoon split. Yeah, well, I mean, and since well, and since and since, I mean, he's a and since that he's a switch hitter. So as a left-handed hitter against right-handed pitch, I mean, the I'm sorry, the more common. I mean, I guess in his case, it's not a reverse platoon split, but in 
Just simply, uh, and, and simply in the case of uh, the the more common hand handedness that he's facing, I see. I see, I see. Um, he's that's when he's struggling with, and that's really dragged down his his batting average in particular. But uh, this is the first time in the major leagues that he that he's displayed consistent um, power against them with I think an ISO over two hundred or something like that. To me, that's what stood out as. I mean, for the first time, he's. It seems to be that he's getting a beat on the ball and driving it, as opposed to just uh, he's he's depending on his average on balls in play to drop in some singles and things like that. And I mean, that's what it was. His, his ISO before against him before that was was bordering on 100, maybe in the 120s or something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think that that's. Um, I mean, and again, it could be wrong. Could be that he goes right back into the toilet uh, once he's <laughs> once he's back from this injury. And I, th- I mean, he's going to be a dangerous and interesting player. It something <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's going to be a dangerous uh, uh, player to project next season because he's oh. coming off a serious knee he'll be coming off a serious arm injury and uh that's those are the kind of things that i believe been known in the past to sap power a little bit to begin with and it's going to be a question of how quickly he recovers and the focus is going to be on his defense and throwing first and things like that yeah. so that's it's the fear is that I mean, if you get into a league with a hap, uh, a weeder's happy guy, that uh, you might as well just let him have him because the risk <laughs> is too great to to worry about that. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, anything to take away since we just recently talked about Matt Holiday and his dip in power. Now he's down to the number two spot in the order, and it seems to be kind of a fitting spot for him as his career kind of heads off slowly into the sunset. I want to say, I mean, we're talking seasons before that happens, but just maybe that starts to be the seem to be a fitting spot. We're going to see. Uh, we we've kind of talked already. It seems to be that we'll see a bit more of a bit more power production as the season wears on. But overall, is this kind of a more fitting spot for him? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, uh, since Matt Carpenter can't be down. there. <laughs> yeah. I think the power's coming down. So it's a, it's a good time to put him in the second. I mean, he, he, he gets, he's still, you know, I think that the batting average is going to recover a little bit. So it is, uh, he's still valuable and that might be a good place to put him. Okay. And uh, this is, we touched on this recently, Brad Snyder. Now though, uh, Rangers have DF eight him. Carlos Pena is now up. There's that spot uh, for, desperate AL only players. Uh, I still see no reason. I, I would be scared to death of, of hoping on this guy. I, I think Brad Snyder just hit a homer the other night. I just don't understand. I mean, to me again, not to say that I thought he was going to be resol- this, resolving this problem, but I think, I don't even think, I don't think Pena's defense even plays that well anymore. So it just surprises me that this guy can still find a job. Yeah. This defense. Uh, well, actually is, is that's funny. His defensive value uh, has been negative his whole career. Yeah, so I, I tend to believe but it's even that worse it, now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I tend to believe it's pretty bad, um, even with the the problems with defensive metrics. Uh, you know, I think it's a, a last ditch play at this season, and they'll they'll give him a ride. And uh, you know, as they fall out of it. Uh, we might see Brett Nichols finally. I'm still waiting on Brett Nichols. I know he's not a great prospect, but just bring him, try him. <laughs> How old is Nichols? He's not a great prospect because he's kind of old. Let me let me call it up. But um, 26. He's almost 26. Okay. Yeah. 26 so next month, right after the All Star break, which is probably been- about when they'll call him up. <laughs> I'll call him up when he's thirty. <laughs> uh, he, he 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 was uh, he was decent in the AFL, I thought, and he he plays better defense uh, than Carlos Pena. But I guess probably a lot of people can say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I just I, I I don't even consider like you said. I mean, this is looks like a last ditch effort to me. I mean, I don't even see that as a last ditch effort. Like I feel like. I, I, my feeling is Snyder would have been a better last ditch ever than Pena. I feel I think because Pena has multiple major league seasons on his resume, he is somehow maybe appealed to them as a as a maybe. I don't know. I wonder if Nolan Ryan would have made that move. Anyway, uh... <laughs> let me look though because uh, you know actually his rest of season projections uh, for Carlos Pena are decent in terms of offense. I don't buy. And yeah, they beat uh they beat Brad Snyder's pretty comfortably. Okay. Well, that and that's probably understandable. That I bet they don't beat Brett, beat Brett Nicholas's even though they aren't there aren't any yet. <laughs> I would still take Nicholas over Peña. I would take the zeros instead and, of let Peña hurt me. 
development time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one one deal of note, perhaps, uh, is that the Phillies ended up winning the Grady Sizemore picked up off the scrap heap sweepstakes, uh, signed him to a minor league deal. There may somehow turn out to be playing time in the Phillies outfield. Uh, does this interest you at all? Seeing Sizemore in a National League team, that would be interesting. <sighs> I just, it just makes my brain hurt, you know? <laughs> yes. It makes my brain hurt. Because I just pulled up a, a Roto-Roto thing. Don Brown could receive an extended break. Okay, yeah, you know what, Phillies? I don't know why they would do that. That's You know you know what's going to take you out of this tailspin, Phillies? You, you need, what you need to do is take your young guys out of the lineup. And put and more old put, guys in it. Put more old guys in. <laughs> Trust me, you're, this you is mean. nothing new. As a Phillies fan, I will oh, tell you. Man. <laughs> this is far from new. It disgusts me to no end. I'm I, I'm I'm so over it that I I barely follow the team as is. It's 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 disgusting. I mean, this move that I saw the rumor that they were going to sign him. Win tomorrow. Grady's ladies, welcome to Philadelphia. Uh, be careful in which sections of the stadium you sit. <laughs> no, actually, and that's citizens, still on the ground is probably Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> the citizen, uh, the uh, actually Citizens Bank Park. Uh, I mean, at this point, Philly fans probably get a, a bit of a bad rep Ooh. relative to how bad they are. In part, it's I think it's because they've jacked up the ticket prices. And uh, okay. but anyway, uh, well, I did I did talk to somebody about that, an aggrieved season ticket holder. But here's a joke no one's never made ever made before. I'm sure. It's Senior Citizens Bank Park. Oh, that is a good one. And so rightful. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's my birthday. I was, I'm a loud one. And uh, I think that's, you know what? I think that's a dropping the mic moment, maybe. Dropping the mic moment. No. Yeah, that is. I think that is. Maybe. I had to catch on to what you even meant by that in the first place. Well, it's, it's, I think, it's a good way then. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I was I was heading that way myself. And I think, I think we should take this opportunity... Um, all the folks in the audience, please join me. Let's sing "Happy Birthday, Dino Cirrus." Happy. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> Eno has dropped the microphone. Does he have anything to say after he's picked it back up? No. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you all very much. We we had some great requests. We're glad that we could talk about some of the stuff that you wanted to hear about. Uh, we hope that the show continues to get better. So we thank you for joining us uh, for episode number 133. This has been The Sleeper and The Bust.